0: Reading notes number six. This is the giant Tim Ferriss edition. I don't mean that Tim Ferriss is a literal giant, but that this edition is a giant recap of three Tim Ferriss books. Here we go. So 2019 was apparently the year of reading Tim Ferriss books, among other things. I read a good bit of his blog before, but I think none of his books till last year. Last year, I read The 4-Hour Workweek, Tools of Titans, and Tribe of Mentors in their entirety. I also read a good bit of The 4-Hour Body, but that is a massive endeavor and super detailed. And while many topics are very interesting, many of them are not, to me. I'm not super into knowing how I can make my biceps bigger and what combination of supplements I can take to maximize such endeavors. If he has something about naturally increasing bus size, now hmm yeah, that could be interesting. Anyway, let's dive in. The 4-Hour Workweek. Okay, so if you've been on the Internet in the last decade or two, you've heard of Tim Ferriss and the 4-Hour Work Week. I don't think we need another recap here, as there are already copious amounts of recaps and summaries and critiques and the like available. Plus, most of the book's content is on Tim Ferriss's blog, or at least the main points are, and then those points have been reconfigured and responded to and expanded on, etc., by many other bloggers and writers and Internet-y people. And that's really just a long way of saying, look, there's plenty of information about this book out there already, and since I've been an internet inhabitant for most of my adult life, the majority of this book was not new or groundbreaking for me. It's interesting to read a book for the first time, though, and realize how much you've been influenced by it. So here are a few points that stand out to me. One, the sooner you trust yourself to make your own rules, the sooner you start living the life you want to live. A few quotes. The common sense rules of the real world are a fragile collection of socially reinforced illusions. The manifesto of the dealmaker is simple, reality is negotiable. Outside of science and law, all rules can be bent or broken, and it doesn't require being unethical. The important distinction is that between official rules and self-imposed rules. Okay, so second point, the obvious and or popular path is usually the one to avoid. The options are limitless, but each path begins with the same first step, replacing assumptions. Okay, number three, there's good stress and there's bad stress. Role models who push us to exceed our limits, physical training that removes our spare tires, and risks that expand our sphere of comfortable action are all examples of eustress. Stress that is healthful and the stimulus for growth. Four, the fear of discomfort will stop you far more often than discomfort itself. The luxury I advocate has nothing to do with money. It cannot be bought. It is the reward of those who have no fear of discomfort. There is a direct correlation between an increased sphere of comfort and getting what you want. Five, an important note on defining happiness is to look for excitement. It's a matter of specificity. What do you want is too imprecise to produce a meaningful and actionable answer. Forget about it. Excitement is the more practical synonym for happiness, and it is precisely what you should strive to chase. It is the cure-all. When people suggest you follow your passion or your bliss, I propose that they are in fact referring to the same singular concept, excitement. This brings us full circle. The question you should be asking isn't what do I want or what are my goals, but what would excite me? I would add too, that the question has to be in the context of right now. What would excite me right now? Sometimes we get too in our heads and throw things too far away. What will be exciting to me in a year or five years or ten years? Where do I want to be? How can we know that? Okay, number six, choose your partners, whether friends or colleagues, carefully. Quote, if someone isn't making you stronger, they're making you weaker. That's pretty straightforward. So there's lots of other good practical advice and motivation about things like language learning and reading and learning in general and being effective and efficient and hiring and delegating and focusing and building a business and making decisions and things like that. So if that sounds like interesting stuff to you, read the blog or get the book and dive in. And now we move on to Tools of Titans. Tools of Titans is a collection of interesting and helpful notes that Tim pulled from his podcast interviews. There's a focus on what he calls actionable details. Specific questions such as what is your workout routine or how do you spend the first hour of your morning? Or what books do you recommend most often lead to very specific and detailed answers because the answers are specific and detailed they're going to either be super helpful and applicable to you or Not really interesting at all. So I have a lot of highlights from this book Which I guess means that a lot of the advice was super helpful and applicable for me. Have I actually applied any of it? That's a good question. So here's what I've taken from this book that has actually been implemented in one way or another in my life. Number one, book recommendations. So many. I added a lot of books to my reading list from both this book and the Tribe of Mentors book. Unfortunately, I didn't really keep track of which books those were, and I don't want to go spend time to cross-reference them now, so I don't actually know how many of the books I read from this list of recommendations. Oh well, moving on. Number two, fasting. Um, I did a good bit of fasting last year, a couple of periods of intermittent fasting, several one and two day fasts and one five day fast with my husband and one of our best friends in which on day three, I began vomiting water. That was a fun time. I should have probably paid more attention to the advice on fasting before I did the five day fast. Anyway, I had a protein shake and felt better and finished the fast with coconut water. Does it still count? I say yes. Number three, Lowering cortisol. There's some interesting info about lowering cortisol, which is the stress hormone that we produce, or I guess the hormo- hormone that we produce when we are stressed hormone that produces stress i'm not really sure whatever anyway it turns out that when you have a hysterectomy and go full force menopausal your body responds with all sorts of hormone wackiness and making way too much cortisol is part of that and too much cortisol is not fun it does not make you feel good and it can really fuck up among other things your ability to deal with stress your emotions your moods your sex life your general sense of well-being yeah lots of shit so learning how to have less of it is good number four The Cossack Squat, which is a squat that, God, just look it up. I'm not going to try to describe it. That would be not helpful. I was just starting to run regularly, I think, around the time I read this book and having a lot of pain in my calves and ankles every time I did, which was discouraging. So I started doing Cossack Squats and they helped enormously. I still do them every time I run because if I don't, guess what? Pain happens. And I don't really like pain. Okay. Number five, bare feet. There was a recommendation to let kids run around in flat shoes like Vans or Chuck Taylors and be barefoot as much as possible. I changed nothing based on this recommendation. I just felt a lot better about my parenting because our kids are barefoot most of the time, and when they're not barefoot, they're probably wearing Vans or flip-flops. So, cool. Validation. Number six, meditation. This is a thing I was already doing but not consistently. A vast majority of the people interviewed in this book had some type of daily mindfulness practice so that was affirming and validating and helped up my motivation to be more consistent with my own morning meditation which i have been and which is good seven journaling same as meditating i've been keeping a journal since i don't know forever i mean i have a like full box of notebooks just from the journaling i've done since moving to puerto rico Um, So it's always nice to hear affirming things about one of your regular practices. I didn't really change anything about how I journal. There were recommendations for like specific questions to ask yourself every day, or other kind of more formal journaling formats. That's cool. Some of those are probably helpful and more maybe productive as far as introspection goes, but it works pretty well for me to just sit still and write shit for 20 or 30 minutes every morning. So that's what I do. Number eight. Don't beat yourself up over set facts and don't worry about the timeline and focus on the process. So this point and the next one about making a single big decision really instigated or maybe influenced a major mindset shift that was happening in my approach to life and goals and progress. Here's a quote. Throw out a timeline. It will take what it takes. Quality long-term results require quality long-term focus. No emotion, no drama, no beating yourself up over small bumps in the road. Learn to enjoy and appreciate the process. This is especially important because you are going to spend far more time on the actual journey than with those all too brief moments of triumph at the end. Okay, number nine, make a single big decision rather than a lot of small decisions. This has been a really helpful concept for me. Quote, If the commitment is to a long-term goal and not to a series of smaller intermediate goals, then only one decision needs to be made and adhered to. Clear, simple, straightforward. Much easier to maintain than having to make small decision after small decision to stay the course when dealing with each step along the way. This provides far too many opportunities to inadvertently drift from your chosen goal. The single decision is one of the most powerful tools in the toolbox. And I'll end with this one. There are more, but this is already turning into a monstrously long thing and I'm not able to talk anymore apparently, so time to cut it short. Number 10, trust starts with vulnerability, not the other way around. This is one of those, ah, in hindsight, I see that this concept has seeped into my brain and been subconsciously influencing me moments. Trust and vulnerability have been coming up over and over for me lately. Here's a quote from the book. People always think you gain trust first, and then you're vulnerable with people. But the truth is, you can't really earn trust over time with people unless you are allowing yourself to be somewhat vulnerable first. Okay, last book for this long edition of Reading Notes, Tribe of Mentors. Tribe of Mentors is another book of collected advice or notes or questions and answers. It is big, and I made a fuck ton of highlights, so I guess I liked it. How do I narrow this down? I'm going to pick five things out of my 666 highlights, geez, yeah, otherwise this little reading note will become as long as the book. Okay, number one, what would this look like if it were easy? I've been asking myself this question about all sorts of things for the last six months or so, and I couldn't remember where it came from. Now I know, because here it is in my highlights, thanks Tim, or whoever it was who said this in your book. It's a good question. I find that the more I have it, the less I have patience for needless suffering or self-induced suffering or hard work just for hard work's sake. I'm not sure really of the long-term effects of this shift, but I'm interested. We'll find out where this goes. Along those lines, one point that has stayed with me is to ask better questions. Here's a good quote for that. Life punishes the vague wish and rewards the specific ask. After all, conscious thinking is largely asking and answering questions in your own head. If you want confusion and heartache, ask vague questions. If you want uncommon clarity and results, ask uncommonly clear questions. Okay, number two, be yourself because that's better than being anything else. Quote, I started out basically imagining I was writing for a stadium full of replicas of myself, which made things easy because I already knew exactly what topics interested them, what writing style they liked, what their sense of humor was, etc. I ignored the conventional wisdom. By focusing inward on yourself as a writer instead of outward on what you think readers will want to read, you'll end up creating the best and most original work, and that one in a thousand person who happens to love it will end up finding their way to you. So that was a theme for so many of these responses from really wildly successful people in a variety of fields and endeavors. So many of them said something along the lines of, I stuck with my interests, or I did the thing that made sense to me, that appealed to me, or something like, I was working on this conventional path and then just pursuing my thing on the side and what turned out to work or to spark was the my thing on the side, the thing I was doing from the heart with love and curiosity, not for an end goal or to prove myself, but just because I found it interesting and rewarding. Three, focus on the minutes and the hours, and the days, months, years, and decades will work themselves out. Everybody's impatient in a macro and just so patient at a micro level, wasting your days worrying about years. I'm not worried about my years because I'm squeezing the fuck out of my seconds, let alone my days. It's going to work out. There's something to this whole be in the moment concept. I've hated that advice forever because I like planning and I like big long-term goals and I like feeling like I have some idea of what's coming, of where I'm going. But more and more I would see that choosing your path is really just about choosing your next step, your right now step, your best option in this moment, not about having some carefully constructed plan for every step from here to whatever the envisioned end goal might be. Everything changes along the way anyway. The map is not the territory, and the plan is not ever how it works out in reality. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's what allows life to be exhilarating and rewarding instead of boring and predictable. Maybe it's also what creates a lot of fear and instability, but oh well, I guess we have to learn to deal with that either way, and if we learn to just be in the moment, there's also room for surprise and delight in the unexpected. Number four. Failure is learning. So here's just a couple of quotes. I woke up the next day and the world hadn't ended. I was free to keep fucking up and getting better. I wish at least one catastrophic failure on everyone pursuing the arts. It's where you'll get your superpowers. And because each one of those difficult decisions that looked like failures at first took me a bit closer to my real self, each one of them empowered the real me. Each one of them woke me up from the illusion. So failure is how we learn most of the time finally number five quality matters like really matters this was a common theme that choosing quality makes a huge difference particularly in the things that are a regular ongoing or large part of your life this makes sense and seems obvious the quality of the stuff in your life will impact the quality of your life duh but thinking about quality in terms of stuff is one thing the point that's really stayed with me is thinking of quality in less tangible areas Like questions you ask yourself, goals and opportunities you pursue, perspectives and beliefs you allow in your head, and relationships you form. Rather than being open to everything, available to whatever comes along, you assess and you choose consciously, deliberately. And when you choose high quality and then focus on putting energy into those high quality choices consistently, you gain incredible value in return. So, there are also about a million books recommended. Um, This is where I found the recommendation for Finite and Infinite Games, which is an amazing book, and I love the description here, which is so much better than my long, wordy, fumbling notes. It says, this small, short book provided me a vocabulary to think about the meaning of life. Yes, exactly, that sums it up so well. Really, lots of great stuff. Tribe of Mentors is a good book to flip through, find the parts that speak to you, and skip the rest. I'll end with a quote. Most of the world is asleep today, playing a small role in a gigantic illusion. You don't have to be. You can choose a different life. It's all within. You will know the answers when you take the time to find yourself and trust yourself.